This morning, we were in a series uh, for Lent uh, that are the Sundays leading up before Easter, before Good Friday and Easter, and that series was on dealing with deconstruction with the faith, and uh, that's a great series, but we're going to pause it because of the pandemic sort of ramping up, and I think it's important sometimes to just pause our normal teaching pattern when something happens in our country or in the world uh, that impacts us, and obviously this is impacting people all over the globe, certainly in Vancouver, certainly in BC, as well in Canada and North America, and so I want to pause that series. We'll come back to it for sure uh, because that wrestling with deconstruction, how uh, we experience questions and doubt, um, whether we're deconstructing an atheism and coming into faith because something blew up that system or we've been raised in the church and something happens that is causing us to question at a deep level that deconstruction is part of the story, but it's not all the story. We'll get it back into that series uh, after these few on the current uh, situation that we're seeing around the world. And so this morning, I want to just shift gears, and this is a sermon, it was not the sermon I had originally prepared for this Sunday, so uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and I'm titling this, ser- this, this sermon and next Sunday, uh, The Pandemic and the Pantocrator, or the Pantocrator, which is a word, two words, pandemic and Pantocrator, or Pantocrator, is the Christ, the ruler overall, and pandemic, same root Greek word, pan, meaning all, and demos, meaning people in terms of pandemic. Uh, so all people are, in, are uh, possibly uh, are coming under the issue of a, of a disease. And then pantocrator is Christ, the ruler overall. And in the church, there is this icon that goes back of this image of Christ, and he is usually in the dome of these old cathedrals, and he's sort of outstretched overlooking all that is. And so I want to put those two together and say, let's wrestle with what is a Christian's response to things like natural evil? How should we respond in this time? And of course, we're not going to cover it all in one message, and in fact, that would, well, you would... You would not last that long, neither would I, uh, but we do want to begin to scratch the surface of that since this is what's consuming our news, consuming uh, the media, consuming our workplaces, experiencing everywhere this pandemic, and as Christians, the Pantocrator, the Christ, the ruler overall, how do, we, how do we wrestle with these things and what should we move towards? Um, let's pray together, and then I just want to share six simple points this morning about wrestling with a Christian response to this idea of pandemic. So let's pray, beloved brothers and sisters. God, you've gathered us here today, both in this room and online, the few that may be joining us as well. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, give us your wisdom. And in this time of global crisis, in this time of wrestling with sickness and disease, uh, we want to hear from you, God. We want to hear the voice of the creator, the ruler over all, And we want that to speak deep into our hearts. And so, God, I pray today that you'd be with me. I'm a saint and sinner in process like everyone else, and uh, I certainly haven't arrived. But, God, we're on the journey together, and we know there's a destination in you that you are drawing us towards, and that you, Jesus, are the way, and you are the destination of the kingdom to come. And so we lean into these ancient truths, these ancient scandalous claims, and we wrestle with them today together as a church Wherever we're at, whether we're followers of Christ or questioners or curious about Jesus, uh, we're here, Lord, being community, and you are the center of our community. So we come to you today and to your word in Jesus' name. If you will say amen. 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 By the way, if you're watching at home and you want to say amen out loud while you're there, do it. It'd be awesome, okay? Uh, 
Pilgrim's usually a, li- a little more lively, but I think we're all very, we're very quiet this morning. Um, so a few things. Six simple points I want to talk about today regarding pandemic and Christ the ruler over all. I think the first thing that comes to my mind when I wrestle with this, number one, is that we have to acknowledge our emotions. We have to acknowledge our emotional response. That it is proper and right to acknowledge that we may be experiencing things like fear or maybe if your job is being ratcheted back some frustration or maybe even some anger about that because you're seeing loss of income. Uh, Maybe uh, the sense of maybe you feel that everyone's being ridiculous, they're overreacting. Or maybe, again, you are at a point where it's, it's taken everything you've got to be here today or to go out and stand in line at Costco to buy toilet paper at 9 a.m. It's taken everything in you. By the way, I did that this week. I stood in line, not to hoard, mind you, although I did see some of that going on as well. Like the normal shopping pattern, you know, we have a pattern. Man, it was crazy town. But anyway, uh, as far as that 250 people go, by the way, if you're riding transit, I took a bus this week, and if you're uh, going to Costco or any place like that, I can guarantee you that that rule is being broken all over the map. So anyway, be wise. So let's acknowledge our emotions this morning. Let's understand that that's important. Uh, but that as believers, we filter our emotions through a kingdom of God or an eternal lens. Fear, for example, an emotional response of fear is like warning lights on the dashboard of your car uh, or, or your warning lights on your low battery on your phone, uh, you know, when it begins to tell you. And then when it flips into full-on uh, shutting other apps down or when the dashboard lights start blinking, you know, hey, something's happening that I need to respond to if I'm going to continue to drive the car Uh, I'm going to have to charge the phone, otherwise the phone will run out. So again, fear is not necessarily a bad thing. We can acknowledge fear, and I think that's important. Fear is telling us something really important. The question then is, what do we do with that? Our animal brain, as we've learned from neuroscience in the last decade or so, the amygdala kicks in, and our animal brain that wants to move us to fight or flight kicks in. You know that when you're in a relationship conflict that sometimes you need to take those deep breaths because that brain is sort of overriding something that was supposedly helpful in the past is not so much in modern times, fight or flight. And we see all of that. Attitudes of hoarding, attitudes of of comments that are insensitive, um, this idea of fight or flight that fear may kick that in. And we need to be able to step back and say, fear is telling me something in this moment, but I'm not going to be driven by that. I'm going to step back, I'm going to breathe in, and I'm going to let Jesus speak peace into my mind and my heart. Is our fear rational or is it not rational? It doesn't make sense given what we know. And we all know that after this thing is over, the science that's going to come, sort of the post-epidemic science or post-pandemic science is going to tell us more than what it's telling us up front. We know that in every experience we've had. And so there's learning and there's new learning. So we want to be careful how we process those things. Faith moves us forward, I would say, submit to you this morning with love that overcomes fear. Often, though, we move forward with trembling hands. Often, we move forward with a quivering voice and shaky steps. But let me read to you a few passages of Scripture that I think are important with this first one. And I'm camping out on this first one a little longer because it's important that we acknowledge our emotions. Would you say it with me this morning here? Acknowledge our emotions. Oh, listen to those voices, beautiful voices, all of your voices. One more time, we must acknowledge our emotions. Acknowledge our emotions. We must. First John, 
one of my favorite books, and I say that about all the books of the Bible, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 15, this is a common passage if you've been a believer for any amount of time, says this, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God, verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us, God is love. And then he goes on and says this, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And then verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. I want to pause and say, there's something as Christians that When we're wrestling with fear, we also have an overriding value in this love. And so we wrestle with this through the lens of love, whatever the circumstance is, whatever the trial we face. The second verse in terms of point number one that I want to share with you, and a lot of pastors, I am sure, are sharing this verse online in conversations and sermons, is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. For this reason, Paul writes to Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan in the flame of the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. And then verse 7, he says this, to encourage Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, which is also translated sometimes as a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind or self-control. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. A sound mind. And so one of the gifts we can receive from the Lord when we're facing tough challenges, for Timothy, it was leadership challenges. For us, it may be that or issuing our own experiences that God has a gift in the midst of crisis to anyone who calls on the name of Jesus of a supernatural peace in your heart and mind. In fact, Paul says elsewhere that we are to cast our anxieties on God because he cares for us. And also that uh, we are to understand that God gives us peace in the midst of trying circumstances that we can have. And that's important. Learning to breathe deeply when you're triggered by fear is important. But also, as you do that, say, Lord, I breathe in your peace. I receive your gift of peace. And he gives it to us in the midst of it and gives us clarity on how to act and react. Okay, number two this morning, and the survey says, number two, our highest value and purpose as followers of Jesus is love. Would you say this with me this morning? Our highest purpose and value as followers of Jesus is love. Colossians 1 verse 16 says this, For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. He's talking about uh, spiritual powers. And all things were created through him and for him. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. I want to go on and say a little more because Jesus is our definition of love. In Hebrews chapter 1, there's this beautiful verse that says this, uh, in the olden days, God spoke in various ways to ancestors and through prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us in his son, meaning Jesus, who he appointed heir of all things and through whom he created the world. And verse 3, hear this this morning. This is our ultimate rooting of love is in God revealed in a person who came down, put on flesh, dwelled among us. And it says this, the Son, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of His glory and the representation of God's essence. And He sustains all things by His powerful Word. That Jesus is that radiance of what God is, and God is revealed fully as a relationship and as love. 
And so we look at Christ as our model. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 tells us again that God is love. Jesus is God, so therefore Jesus is love. He is our clearest expression of that in his life and what we have as believers. We need to be defined by the love that is expressed in Jesus' life, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection. That does not change whether there's a pandemic, whether we're going through a hellish situation personally, that his love is something that nothing can separate us from, Paul tells us in Romans 8. Now again, practically speaking, we may need to distance an expression of love. Maybe we're spread out among the chairs. An expression of love may mean uh, reaching out to your neighbor, leaving that slip of paper, and they can contact you. Write down your contact details, their email or, or cell phone, and they can get a hold of you. There's ways that we express that love, and we may need to distance. We may need to engage in service, but we use these opportunities of what the enemy intends for evil through sickness and disease as opportunities to say, how can we serve? How can we push beyond? Yes, in a safe way. Yes, taking precautions, but also taking kingdom risks of relationship. I'd like to share one more thing under point two. Are you still awake this morning? Everyone's so quiet. It's pandemic quiet, I guess. Yes? Say yes if you're awake. All right, okay. There's people in the room. All right, yay. Uh, In Luke chapter four, verse 13, leprosy in the ancient world, it could be any number of skin diseases. And of course, the science wasn't there what we, what, that we have today to, uh, to recognize these different diseases. But if you were a leper, you were considered ritually unclean within ancient Judaism. And lepers were generally isolated. And I find this fascinating in this time where we're talking about social distancing, which, I'm not, which is totally appropriate. But it's interesting in the social distancing in the ancient world was, were those that had these skin diseases because they didn't understand transmission. They didn't understand, there were, and it was a wide variety of diseases that we would identify as separate things today. But it's an interesting passage. Jesus goes to this leper, this wounded person, this isolated person, and being the God of all and creator of all and one who can heal, again, most of us are not in that category, but I love what it says here. It says, then Jesus put out his hand and he touched him and and saying to him, I am willing, meaning the conversation he had with the leper, I am willing, be cleansed or be healed, and immediately the leprosy left him. Now, our role may not be to physically touch someone that we know has a sickness or disease that's transferable through that contact, but I don't want us to miss the point that Jesus humanized people even in their sickness and disease, that Jesus humanized and he went into the situation that was culturally challenging and, and he said, because what was in him was greater than the disease that was in the leper, whether it was the social stigma or the literal physical disease, Christ crosses over those barriers and what is in Jesus is greater than anything else and it brings healing and wholeness and bringing this person back into humanity. So during this time of pandemic, let us be careful that we're not uh, uh, demonizing and that we're not ostracizing and that we're rehumanizing people because that is the work of Christ and it opens up people to hear the message that there's another way of flourishing and being human. All right, we got to keep moving on here. I'm almost done. Uh, Let's go to number three this morning. Science and spirit also on my mind. As we think about pandemic and praying about it, number one, we must acknowledge our emotions. Number two, we, our highest value and purpose as followers of Jesus is to live out his love, which brings about the opportunity for the gospel to be shared, for people to hear the story of Jesus. And number three, it comes to my mind, and I'm going to dig into this next Sunday a whole lot more, but I just want to say this comes to my mind a lot here. Science and spirit are not opposed. Can we say this together? Would you join with me? Science and spirit are not opposed. One more time so you get it. Science and spirit are not opposed. This is important, I think. 
we need to understand that they don't need to be imposed unless you try to turn science into a religion, which some people do. It's called scientism uh, on one hand. Or uh, on the other hand, there are those that say, well, science doesn't matter, and so we should ignore that knowledge. And I think that's a whole another ditch to fall into. There's two ditches that we need to avoid. Remember that much of the discovery and the modern university system was rooted in the church being okay with outrageous questioning, that they gave rise out of a pursuit of knowledge because there's this belief that when we get back into deconstruction and restoration, that all truth is God's truth and that faith can handle the questions and that Christianity can handle it. Individual churches, we may not have all the answers for sure, but Jesus can handle the wrestling and the pursuit of truth in the ways it comes. We need to remember that science and our faith sometimes don't answer the same questions. They're pointing to different needs and different questions. Science focuses a lot on the why mechanism. Faith focuses on the issues of, of the how, and the, or not the how, but rather the deeper issues of, I flipped that around. Let me say science focuses on the how and faith focuses more on the why questions, sort of bigger questions of existence. Why, we'll talk about this next Sunday, why do viruses exist that become uh, life-killing and threatening? That, science can't answer that question per se, saying the deeper question, why, does, why is it even possible in creation for there to be these deleterious, these broken-down things that destroy and maim and kill? Faith wrestles with that question. And I think there's some beautiful um, directions that we can explore in what do we do with natural evil in our world, and is it truly just natural? So science and spirit, they're talking about different questions. Um, there's a longing, for example, that each of us has, which Christians talk about. This idea that we long for something that we cannot have fulfillment, that nature itself never fulfills. Is this yearning for this home that we've never been to. There is this desire that it's sort of a nostalgia that for something that we've never been to. And there's nothing within the natural order that automatically meets that need. Christians wrestle with this and say it's because indeed maybe there is a creator and he's placed within each one of us this desire that can only be met by acknowledging that there's a creator and scandalously in Jesus. Augustine, as we've been quoting, he said, you, you God have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they rest in you. Science and spirit. We'll talk more about that next Sunday as we continue the pandemic and Pantocrator series. Last ones here. Four, people on the margins. People on the margins. We've already talked about this, but during an epidemic, we need to remember an pandemic. We're not an epidemic. We're in a pandemic. We need to remember the least of these. We need to be moved with compassion. Jesus says, anyone who offers a cup of cold water in my name does it to me as if it were him. When you serve someone who is being marginalized or pushed to the margins, when you sort of take the one down position and you enter into that, in some ways you are invoking the very spirit of God in that circumstance and that you're experiencing Jesus and you're being Jesus to someone else. It's been said that there is no other Jesus until he comes again other than the messy local church. Let us not abdicate that responsibility. Jesus touched the lepers as we read. He engaged, he rehumanized, he tore down walls of false piety. Churches are open communities to those that often have no community. Whoops. I came here as an immigrant to Canada. I don't have family here. My family becomes the spiritual family. We need to remember that many people in our community, we are spiritual family. That's what local churches are. They're the new neighborhood. We need to remember that in our home gatherings. We need to remember that in the midst of pandemic that we're not so driven by fear and crisis into that ditch 
that we give up on the very thing that makes us human and life-giving. It's our relationships. We can facilitate some of that, of course, online. And of course, we can, do, uh, text, uh, we can text each other. Of course, we can do all the things electronically. But we also need to remember there's something humanizing about gathering, even if it ends up being in twos and threes and smaller groups. We need to remember that. The least of these, children, disenfranchised, those without community, maybe elderly that are shut in down your street, leave that slip of paper, get more. We have, uh, you can grab more of them. Leave them with your contact information. Maybe someone needs help. They can't stand in line at 9 a.m. at Costco to buy a toilet paper on Friday. You know, maybe they need, saw one church where they literally were uh, putting brown paper bags with a roll of toilet paper and leaving them in the neighborhood with a, how can we help you crisis, a corona crisis kit. It was just a roll of toilet paper in a paper bag. I thought it was kind of cute and funny, but definitely made the point, right? So let me land with these last ones here. Number five, Jesus the healer, physical and spiritual healing. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, spoke about Christ in sort of these offices as Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. Pentecostals sort of came out of that group, and they added to that fourfold gospel, Christ as Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, as Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. The New Testament speaks of the healing work of Jesus in the early church. John Wimber, who helped found what was called the Vineyard Movement, came out of a church that never prayed for healing. And then he, he, they began reading the New Testament and realizing that, hey, we need, to, we need to practice these things and pray for healing. And not that we're going to always see supernatural healing, but there is history of it happening sometimes or of diseases being reduced. It doesn't mean that we ignore science. Again, spirit and science should not be opposed. But there is something about prayer for people in the midst of crisis, whether it's emotional, spiritual, or physical in the body, that we are people who do believe that there is a God who engages. And prayer is one of many variables, as we'll talk about in natural evil, but as prayer is one variable that we should not abdicate that we should press into, that there's something released. And who knows, maybe someday the, the natural science will say, oh, wow, there is some aspect of the spirit. And, and we see different studies back and forth on that. But we need to not abdicate that prayer for healing. We see a direct link between spirit and body. Spirit and body are not disconnected. We seek healing not only through science and expansion of human knowledge and medicine through trial and error, but also through God's ministering spirit. We take that risk and we pray for healing. And sometimes there are stories and there are healings that take place. But what I found, if I never pray for healing, nobody gets healed. Sometimes when you pray for healing, guess what? It happens. We don't understand all of the variables, but it is definitely one of them. Christ is our healer, certainly the healer of our spirits. So finally, let me land this with number six. So what? The big picture. Are you still awake this morning? Amen? Yes? Amen. Yes? Okay, all right. The big picture. Let me leave you with this summary here of the big picture as we begin to talk about how do we respond to pandemics and crisis in the world. I pause and I say, I remember talking to a couple that after 9-11 in the States, there, it happened and they were in Brooklyn and their church did not address it. They had like a one or two prayers, but the teaching was whatever was in the series. And I found that sort of like, wow, I don't think we should do that. <laughs> I remember in being ministering in different places where there might have been a tragedy and we would change the focus to remind ourselves that Christ cares about these things that are present right now in real time and real life. So the big picture I think I want to leave us with this morning is this. We, you and I, need to be wise and bold in our love for others. 
We are how God works in the world until Jesus comes again. The Holy Spirit anoints people. God works through people. People are God's means of accomplishing his will in the earth. You and I are that. Every local church, every follower of Christ, anyone open to the Spirit, God wants to use you. I think the big picture also reminds us of this, that we need to be ready for death in any time and any season. Now, I know I've been mostly encouraging and I've mostly been upbeat, but now let's also talk about this. We will all die. Say it with me. I will die. die. Wasn't that, I mean, isn't that the most like truthy truthfulness you could possibly say? You will die. You will pay taxes and you will die. (laughs) Uh, As we're also coming into the end of tax season pretty soon, right? You will pay death and taxes. They are assured, my friends, wherever you're at in the world. One way or the other, you pay pay the ruling powers. So we need to be ready for death. In the beginning of Lent, we have a service called Ash Wednesday that we've brought back into sort of our low church uh, practice here. And in that, we remember that we are dust and to dust we will return, quoting out of the book of Genesis in the Hebrew Bible. Psalm 103, verse 14 through 15 says this, For God knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. And the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like the flower of the field. And the psalm goes on to talk about these transient aspects of our life. We need to remember that we will die. And that's a reality. Are you ready? Now, I pray that none of you uh, experience coronavirus and that none of you experience it in a mortality, uh, you know, a life-death-dealing way. But the reality is we don't know when our time is. And I don't want to be manipulative with that because I became a Christian in a church that would have, the pastor would have ramped it up like 15 levels and they might have had the organ going, uh, no, okay. The worship team would have been, you know, playing all the, all the, all the feels, you know. But sometimes it is important to know and to be reminded of this. You are made for more than just this life. C.S. Lewis talks about this sort of as the title page at the beginning of a book and the next life to come is the rest of the book. Do you know your own mortality? Have you been in touch with that? You need not fear that. For Christians do not fear that because we have the leanings in because of art and beauty and the church and the revelation of Jesus that there is more. But remember that as well, the big picture. And the final thing I want to leave you with as we close this message today is that we are called to walk in love and in the peace of Christ. And that we're to be those people, not driven by fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-control in the midst of things that could paralyze. We receive that as a gift. We receive that from his gracious hand. Next Sunday, I'll wrestle more with natural evil and talk about those bigger questions of why does there, why would God Uh, take the risk in this creation, even having things like coronavirus. Why? We'll dig into that a little deeper. I'll nerd out a little bit next Sunday on that. But I think it's important in this time that the church wrestles with that problem of evil. Even Andres in his message last week talked about that, scratched on that as well. I think it's important that we pause and we dig into that just a little bit. So at least we know a couple of the different um, perspectives on that. And I definitely land in one.